Well, good morning, Meeting House. It's great to be with you again. I um, am Stephanie Spencer, if we haven't met before. And I was excited to get a passage in Isaiah at first. Um, because I love the prophets, I spend a lot of time in the prophets. This one proved to be a little bit more tricky to wrestle with than I thought it would be. But part of that is because I want to just zoom out for a second before we look at this passage and think about the book of Isaiah together. So Isaiah is a prophet whose ministry is happening during a tumultuous time period in Israel. The first half of the book, uh, chapters 1 through 39, are his message of, hey guys, you've been in this land and you're supposed to be representatives of the Lord to everybody, and you're messing it up real bad. <laughs> Can you turn back? No, you're not gonna turn back. Okay, so you're gonna lose the land. And so the message is hard. It's about losing the land because of the way that they have been unfaithful. Chapters 40 through the end are usually thought to be written after that exile, after Babylon comes to take them over and what it looks like for them to return. What makes Isaiah then tricky for us is that we are not a theocracy. Sometimes we think we are, but we are not. So in a book of Isaiah, we have to be very careful about how we pull the lessons forward because this idea that there is a land that is governed and when it is being governed improperly that leads to exile and that leads to return is very set in the time and place of ancient Israel. And so I want to point to our values again. I did this last time. <laughs> to interpret the book of Isaiah well requires risk, it's messy, and it requires wrestling. Because what we have to say is what is the best comparison to the land today? Where might God be operating in that way where there could be consequences to exile that's actually what love looks like today? And so I'm going to invite you as I go through kind of where I'm taking this passage to disagree with me whenever you want and to say actually that is a part of scripture and studying and what we do in scripture circles is to say multiple perspectives belong, especially in a book that is complicated. So you can get mad at what I'm about to say. You can feel great about what I'm about to say. The hope is that you engage with what I'm about to say. That's when the prophets really come to life for us, is when we engage and wrestle with what they have to say and wonder about how to apply them. So when we're in Isaiah 63, 7 through 14, what was read, it's actually this little psalm inserted into the book of Isaiah. Um, it's assumed, it, uh, it's thought to be written actually during the exile. And it sort of breaks from Psalm 63, or from Isaiah 63, puts this psalm format in, and then goes back to the format before. And so we can wonder, what are the people thinking about and feeling during a time of exile, when everything they thought would be true about their life is no longer true about their life? And so it actually follows the format of a psalm of lament, of, hey God, you said this, and my life is like this, and I'm kind of upset about that. 
and to know that there are many places in the Bible where that's how people talk to God. That conversation begins with verse 7, um, and verses 7, 8, and 9 are actually really lovely. So let's sit there for a little bit. It starts with the very key word of zakar. So zakar in Hebrew means to remember. When we are in those time periods where we don't know why our life looks the way it looks, remembering is always a good place to begin. So the writer says, I will remember. What is the writer trying to remember? The chesed of the Lord. Chesed actually is a word I talked about in a sermon at one point before. It's one of Jim Fisher's favorite words in the world. So if you want to know anything about chesed, talk to Jim. I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. But chesed is this idea of a loving faithfulness of God that is unconditional. It is God's ever-present commitment to God's people. So these words begin, I will remember that. That could be the end of the sermon, (laughs) right? If we can remember that, how might that affect how we live? But it goes on. Uh, The praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us. His great goodness, tov, another one of the favorite words of scripture circles. The word used in creation over and over again for the life that keeps bringing more life. The kind of good that is generative. That's the way God is towards the house of Israel. Which he bestowed on them according to raham, another favorite word. All these favorite words are in here. Raham is being translated mercy. And it's connected to rahum, which is the word for womb. When God has mercy on us, God is re-wombing us in the Hebrew mind. There is a way that it's bringing us back to the nurturing of what it is to be an infant inside of a mother. According to that mercy, God interacts with us. According to the multitude of his chesed. And that place, now we get to verse 8. Surely they are my people and he was their savior. Another key word. Yasha, salvation, it means to be made wide open or free. So he is there, Yasha. And in all of their affliction, he was afflicted. And the messenger of his face, Yasha, them. It's actually what it says presence is face, angel is messenger, the messenger of his face is what was with them, saving them, afflicted with them, redeeming them. Then we have the word, but. Darn it. Because to this point, all of that could be embroidered on a pillow. Right? I always think of like, what are the Bible verses that can be embroidered on a pillow? So when we just look at verses 7, 8, And the nine, we might not think it's a psalm of ament. 
We might think it's just, let's embroider this on a pillow, let's sing a hymn, everything's amazing, God is awesome, life is awesome, yay! But then, verse 10, they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, and he turned to become their enemy. How do we make sense of verse 10 in light of all of those words that we just talked about in 7 through 9? Those words are actually inviting us to wrestle. How do I make sense of God's hesed, of God's tov, of God's wooming mercy, God's salvation when everything looks bad in my life, when it looks like God is my enemy, where are those characteristics of God that I am trying very hard to remember right now because it is not what things look like for me? And what it makes me think about is the movie The Princess Bride. Um, <laughs> any, any Princess Bride fans in here? <laughs> All right. Whew, it's one of the best. Makes me want to watch it right now. So, um, there's a word, oh, this would be a good participation moment. There's a word that a character keeps using over and over and over again. Anyone know what word I'm referring to? Inconceivable. And there's a moment when the Dread Pirate Roberts, who turns out to be Wesley, sorry if that's a spoiler, this movie's been out for more than 20 years, says to him, I do not think that word means what you think it means. And I think that that happens to us a lot when we hear these religious words. That these words of mercy, grace, loving kindness, goodness, don't mean what we think they mean. One of my guesses for why that happens is that we're not from Texas. Let me explain. In the Midwest, we have one word for you. Texas has you, it has y'all, and it has all y'all. And when we read the Hebrew scriptures, we read I, and we read you. And the Hebrew scriptures are always all y'all. Let me repeat that. We read I, or we read you, and it is always all y'all. It is always us. So that affects how we hear words like chesed and rachum and tov. Because what does God's loving kindness and faithful presence look like to all y'all? What does that look like when my life is great, but my life is great because I'm oppressing someone else? Would God's faithfulness to me look like letting me stay an oppressor? Or would God's faithfulness to us look like making a change in the system. This is what's going on in this time period of exile. I was planning 
uh, this sermon with Lisa, who's speaking in the alternative service right now. It's really one of the things that you might want to do, I'm going to encourage you to do, is watch that message. Because what happens in scripture circles will become more clear when you watch two people give the same message, different message on the same topic. That'd be a good practice for you guys to do every week (laughs) here to say, how is their perspective and how we read? How is that welcome? But we were doing some planning of this together, some studying together. And she said this. We were talking about the title of this being the spirit of liberation. And liberation is that word yasha that we talked about that's in there. And she said, it's hard to think of loss as liberation. Let me repeat that. It's hard to think of loss as liberation. And that is what the book of Isaiah is about. They came into the promised land, and it was a land of promise. It was filled with all of these possibilities of what it could look like for God to have a people group living according to God's ways to show the whole earth how good God is. But what happens when people get resources is there is a strong temptation to accumulate those resources, to take the all y'all and to make it smaller, maybe just to y'all maybe just to you, maybe just to me. And they have shrunk their idea of God into a vending machine God, where the reason I worship is so that you give me something, you give me wealth, you give me land. And at this point in history, over a thousand years from when they settled that land, it means that the land of promise has become a land of oppression. So what is God in this chesed supposed to do when the people who are supposed to be acting like his people and his representatives are acting instead like oppressors, which is like all of the other nations around them, not showing anything about what God is like? It's hard to think of loss as liberation. How might exile be the very thing that all y'all, all of us, need sometimes when we have gotten lost and thought of Raham as about me, Chesed as about me, Tov as about me, instead of being for all of us? One of the ways that I love playing with this idea is with this word Yasha and the different ways it shows up in the Hebrew text. So when our uh, little our students were up here getting their Bibles, one of the verses chosen was from Joshua, one nine. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Those are words being spoken to Joshua before he takes the people over the river and into that promised land to settle the land. Joshua's name is Yah Yasha. Yah, short for Yahweh, that name of God that's in this passage. Yasha, salvation, liberation. Yah is our liberator. Yah is our salvation. Yah is leading us to this land of wide open possibilities. At that point in history, somewhere around 1400 BC, 
Salvation looked like gaining. Because at that point in history, they were people who had been oppressed in Egypt, who had wandered in the wilderness and were ready to try this experiment of being a landed people. Salvation looked like gaining that land. But now we are almost 2,000 years later. That land has become a place of oppression. If God is always in the business of liberating, what does liberation for all of us look like now? The prophets tell us it looks like loss and exile. Isaiah's name is Yasha Yah. Salvation of Yah. It is the same name as Joshua's, just in a different order. We don't catch that in English. And I love that in the, the big story of scripture, the experience of the people in the land is bookended by two people whose name means salvation. Lest we think, oh, salvation always looks like gaining the land, or salvation always looks like losing the land, we hold Joshua and Isaiah side by side and say, how is this pushing us to have non-binary ideas of how God works? Then Jesus comes along, whose name is Yahyasha, and everything has changed <laughs> for what salvation looks like. And it's why people were so confused about it, because they had these two ideas of what salvation looks like, and then Jesus is like, actually, it's something completely different than that. How can we keep wrestling for what the liberation looks like for all of us today? The thread running through all of this in the passage is spirit, which is the series that's happening. As a beast goes down into the valley, the spirit of the Lord is there. It is the spirit of the Lord who is grieved it is the spirit of the Lord that is doing things. And we might wonder why it's talking about spirit. Because actually spirit's not a common theme at this point. This verse is actually one of the only places in the Hebrew scripture where it talks about Holy Spirit together. This and Psalm 51 are the only two places that puts holy and spirit together. And it's the Holy Spirit that is grieved by the way that things have gotten lost. But it is also the Holy Spirit in verse 11 who was with them and shepherding them. And the people are now asking the question, where is that spirit that led us in the wilderness? Will you come and lead us now in this place where we feel confused and hurt and uncertain about where things have gone and why we have lost everything? Where is that God? Will you come with us now? Will you show yourself That shepherding presence, it says that a few things happened. In verse 9, going back a little bit, it talks about how God bore them. It also talks about how they were carried. And remember, it also talked about how they were wombed. Spirit is ruach in Hebrew, which is a feminine word. And the first place we see it show up is Genesis 1, verse 2, where the spirit ruach of the Lord, 
same language as here, is hovering over the waters of creation before anything begins. And that hovering is the word rahaf, which is the word for a mother bird over a nest. The spirit of the Lord carries a presence that brings things to life, like a mother bird bringing life to the eggs. It is that spirit who shepherds us. It is that spirit who leads us to the deep, the abyss. That's the word in verse 13, that deep abyss, tehom, is the same word in Genesis 1-2 of what the spirit is hovering over, the abyss, the grave, the primeval. In this time of loss, the spirit is with us, hovering over the life that could come as if the Bible always believed in resurrection. So I want to take that challenge that Lisa offered and say, okay, if we believe that chesed is true, that God is always faithful and loving, if we believe that the Spirit is with us bringing new beginnings, how might we be open to liberation not looking like what we thought it would look like? because of the need for liberation to be for the collective all y'all, all of us, not just me.